Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi everyone, welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where we are looking at Blood of the Mummy from 2019. Not to be confused with the Blood from the Mummy's Tomb from 1971, as, well, to be honest with you, I feel that's probably where most of this film gets its viewership from. You know, people accidentally watching the wrong film. In terms of the format for the episode, we shall start by having a look at the historical accuracy, and then after that I shall just review the film, say what I like and dislike, and then just rate it out of ten. But before then, as usual, it is time for my dramatic intro. Right. When you were younger, you watched your parents die at the hands of a resurrected ancient Egyptian mummy. Now, as you move through your life, this mummy appears in times of need and kills those who hurt you. Unfortunately, by doing so, he has left you traumatised and in a psychiatric ward. In this ward, you undergo shock therapy in order to rid yourself of your memories. However, little do you know that this will not sort your issues out. Soon, once again, you shall witness the blood of the mummy. Okay, so we've now arrived at the historical accuracy section. So here I shall simply go over the film, sort of say what it gets right and wrong in terms of historical accuracy, and also occasionally using it as a bit of a jumping off point to talk about anything I think is quite interesting. So, <laughs> the first problem with this film comes up about, well, I actually timed it, it's 0.04 seconds into the film. So we get the credits come up, around the credits there's sort of rows and rows of hieroglyphs, and these are all completely incorrect, they're, they're not real hieroglyphs. Slightly later in the film, probably about sort of maybe five minutes after the opening, we see a flashback scene to Louise's uh, childhood. So Louise is the, the main character in the film. And basically in this scene, she's supposed to be on a dig with her parents in Egypt. But, well, I mean, the dig they're on 
doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's literally just they've got a tent set up in the desert. That's it. That's the entire dig by looks of it. It's definitely a scene that shows they were incredibly low on money while making this film. But typically, uh, when you have an archaeological excavation in Egypt, well, not even in just in Egypt, anywhere really, um, you first have to strip off the top layer of soil, or, well, <laughs> in the case of Egypt, sand, I guess, to sort of reveal the archaeological features, and, you know, they're the parts that you'll be digging. So basically, what would normally happen is you'd strip off this layer, and then you'd see, kind of, normally it's um, it's kind of darker patches on the ground that would form sort of shapes so it could be like uh, you could have a round one that might be a pit you could have like a long one which might be a ditch uh that kind of thing it's just basically they're the parts that you're you're excavating this first stage so the the stripping of the top layer would normally be done by quite heavy machinery that's being overlooked by an experienced archaeologist and then once this has been done that's when the majority of the archaeologists will come onto this section of the site to um you know excavate the newly uncovered features so anyway going back to the film we have louise sitting with her mother in the tent in just a random bit of desert <laughs> and then a, a digger comes over to them and says that louise's father dr carter has found a new tomb all very exciting of course first of all like I'm sorry, they had to call him Dr. Carter. They, they've just gone, who's a famous Egyptologist? Oh, I know, Howard Carter. Let's call him Dr. Carter for crying out loud. <laughs> um, what's the point here in terms of accuracy, or in this case, incredible inaccuracy? So he's just discovered a new ancient Egyptian tomb, and they just head down there and they're like, oh, look, it's a tomb. They literally head down there in less than five minutes. <laughs> So let's say that the tomb isn't completely full of sand and would need clearing. That's the most likely scenario here, but, you know, there's a chance that wouldn't be the case. Maybe there's a, a plaster wall in the way and that stopped the sand from getting in, so fine. You would still need to clear away the entrance. Uh, the chances are there will be sort of like maybe you might have like steps leading down into the tomb and you'd have to clear them all individually first before you even got to the door. So you'd be aware that there's something at least similar to a tomb there really early on the chances are this process would take you know probably a couple of weeks because ultimately it's not just about clearing away the sand it's it's documenting every step along the way as well like you know the the, the clearing will have to stop during these these points and you might be saying well maybe there was like a time lapse or something like that nope <laughs> absolutely not uh, in fact, it's specified in the film that it took, you know, maybe half an hour at most. <laughs> now, I'm not going to go over every detail of what's wrong with this tomb because there's a lot wrong here. Not least the fact that every single artifact in there is clearly made of plastic. Um, but one thing they have, right, is they have the table and they've clearly got some silver coins which they found in the in the tomb. So later on in the film, we find out that the Princess Ananka, who this tomb belongs to, was supposed to have been living during the time of Seti I. Can you guess what there were absolutely none of during the time of Seti I? Yep, you probably got it right. There was no coinage at this time. That wasn't how the ancient Egyptian economy worked. So, for reference, um, Seti I was the second ruler of the 19th dynasty. 
And he would have been ruling shortly after about 1300 BC. We're probably looking at his reign being between maybe 1295 BC to 1275, something along those lines. Meanwhile, the first sort of person to claim they brought money to Egypt uh, was Darius I. This would have been somewhere between 510 and 500 BC. Realistically, though, you're looking at another couple of hundred years before it was used frequently, so that would have been during the Ptolemaic periods when the Greeks were ruling over Egypt. Before then, typically um, the ancient Egyptian economy and the way people would buy stuff was based on various weights and measurements of things like grain, gold and silver. Um, I'm not going to go into this too much, but if you are interested in this subject, I talk about it a, a fair amount during my episode on Joseph, King of Dreams. I'll put a link to that one in the episode description, just so you can find it a little bit easier. And I'll also write down the names for various weights and measurements in the episode description as well, just with a little bit of a description, so, you know, you can do a little bit of your own research if you want to. Basically, I, I know this isn't the, the most interesting of subjects for a lot of people. Personally, I find it really interesting, but... I do remember when I was doing my undergraduate dissertation, um, I had to focus on this a fair amount and I could always see the life fading from my lecturer's eyes as I, as I said I was going to do this. Uh, he found it quite a dry subject. <laughs> so yeah, I, I get that it's not for everyone. A fair time after this, um, after Louise has grown up, she reveals that the mummy has left a message for her in the blood of someone who attacked her. Asim, uh, an Egyptian man who befriends her, claims that the mummy has written the word Ka, which was part of the Egyptian soul, and that he's also written the word for love. He's actually not 100% incorrect here. So um, the word for Ka is basically two arms being held up in the air, and this was indeed part of the Egyptian soul. So basically it was the vital essence of the person and it could live in likenesses of that person. So, for instance, statues and things like that. In fact, um, when offerings were given to the, the deceased, normally they had to be given to a likeness of that deceased, such as a statue. And this was to sustain the car. Interestingly, they did realise that the car didn't actually eat the food. But they kind of saw it as eating the essence of the food. And part of, well, one of the perks of being a priest was <laughs> that you got to eat the actual food afterwards. In terms of the other part of the inscription here, again, yeah, uh, they have got the Egyptian word for love here. So the word they've written here is meri, and that basically means, you know, to like, to love, to desire, to want, something along those lines. So in other words, the film actually got something right. Yay. And in fact, these aren't the only hieroglyphs that the film does get right, because... At one point, we see a flashback scene where we see Seti I, and in an admittedly very cheap-looking cartouche around his waist, he has Men Ma'at Re written. So this name would mean um, Eternal is the Truth of Ra, and this was genuinely one of Seti I's throne name. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In another flashback scene, uh, we see Ananka using a mirror. This doesn't necessarily link to hieroglyphs at all, but what's interesting is the type she's using does look quite similar to the type of mirror used in ancient Egypt. So, in ancient Egypt, usually mirrors were made up of um, very, very polished either silver, gold or copper, and, and it does look like they've tried to replicate this in this film. I'd imagine all they've really done is looked on Google to find examples and found one that looks similar realistically, but, you know, it's better than doing no research at all, I guess. The final point I want to talk about in this section of the episode is right at the end of the film where we see Louise have to finish embalming Carice as he was buried alive. Now, look, obviously there was no such thing as people being buried alive in ancient Egypt. That just wasn't done. And in fact, I spoke about that in the, my very first episode on this podcast, on The Mummy 1932 with Boris Karloff. Basically, a lot of it comes down to a man named Pentua, whose who's mummy looks like it's screaming. And this led to uh, the imaginations of early sort of explorers going a bit wild. However, even taking this out of um, the equation, the way they've done the embalming in this film is hit and miss to say the least. It's kind of all done in the wrong way really so in the film they start by putting the oil over the body then they uh remove the organs from the sort of chest and in fairness to them they they do specify that uh they had to do a cut down the left side of the body to get these out and that is correct and then finally in the film they insert a hook up the brain and they kind of pull out bits of it at a time so, in reality, the removal of the brain would actually be the first step in mummification. What they'd have to do first is they'd break the, the bone in the nose, they'd insert a hook up it, and they'd kind of stir it, usually by adding a bit of, like, water or some kind of oil-type stuff up the nose. They'd stir it for a long time, turn it into a liquid, and then they'd turn the mummy over to sort of let the brain kind of drain out. What's really interesting, actually, is you can see different levels of thoroughness with this part, depending on how wealthy or important the individual was. I think that's quite interesting, personally. After this, they would indeed make a cut in the left side of the body and remove the organs. And in fairness to the film, they do specify not to remove the heart. The heart was left in the body as it was needed for entering the field of reeds, which is the Egyptian version of heaven, essentially. Um, basically they'd need it to get through the weighing of the heart ceremony. It would only be after this that oils and spices would be applied to the body. And this actually served two purposes. Uh, the first part was to obviously make the body smell nice, but it was also to keep the limbs of the body subtle, you know, to stop them from snapping. Then the next stage after this would be to place it in a sort of bath of natron to kind of dry the body out. 
Then, 40 days later, it would be stuffed to give it a more lifelike appearance. Uh, this would have been stuffed with things like linen, but also packets of natron as well to further dry it out on the inside. And then finally, after 70 days, the body would be wrapped. So overall, I think it's fair to say that this film doesn't do a great job when it comes to historical accuracy. There are a few little bits here and there that look like they've had some vague sort of research done into them. So for instance, the fact that Seti has Men Ma'at Ray written around his, um, his waist, or the part where a seam uh, reveals that car is part of the Egyptian soul and the word Mary means uh, to love. But ultimately, we also have scenes where they're in an archaeological excavation where they're literally just, they just have a, a, a tent set up in the desert and there's no signs of an excavation. Or the fact that um, they find a tomb and immediately enter it five minutes later. So overall... This is a pretty poor film when it comes to historical accuracy. Okay, we've now arrived at the review section. So here, I'll simply go over the film, saying what I like and dislike, and then rate it out of 10. So, to begin with, I like the fact that the um, the characters here seem to be based off of the mummy films from the 1940s and sort of the 50s as well. So, for instance, Louise in the film is supposed to be the reincarnation of the Princess Ananka, and the mummy is called Caris. These two characters originated from the mummy's hand from 1940. So I do think this is a, a nice little callback to those earlier films. Also, in fairness to the film, I, I did actually think the, the concept here was pretty cool. It's basically about a woman who is haunted throughout her life by a mummy, who appears in times where she's she's in need and and kills anyone who's hurting her. However, by doing this, the mummy's causing the woman to go through some quite serious like psychological damage, basically, because she's just seen death all the time. I quite like that because it's almost like the mummy's a weird anti-hero of sorts. Like he, he's almost trying to do the, the right thing, but he's causing a lot of harm by doing so. It's quite an interesting concept, I think. I also like that the, the first half of the film, as a result, almost feels a bit like an anthology film. So essentially, we see Louise grow up after the death of her parents. And so you see various kind of like foster parents and people at school picking on her. And then, as they do, they kind of get picked off by the mummy. You know, he comes along and murders them. But they're almost done in sort of individual stories. And you, you see Louise grow through these. It's actually a really effective way of doing the first half of this film, and it did lead to me warming to Louise as a character. Despite the, the cheapness of the overall film, I, I thought this aspect of it worked really well. And further, although this first half an hour of the film is easily the best part, it's not as if the film doesn't have some good parts after then. You know, there's definitely some good ideas here. So, for instance... There's one part where she's having shock therapy to uh, try and forget all of the, the all of these terrible things she's seen over her life and all of the awful experiences she's had. But instead, it just leads to her remembering about her past life and she remembers about this fantastic love story she had with Carice the mummy uh, when she was the princess in Anka. I thought this was quite an, an, an interesting concept as well. I don't necessarily think it was taken to its fullest extent, but there was definitely... 
some promise there of something really good. There was also one scene where she's in the psychiatric ward and she basically sits down with this woman to have an imaginary tea party. And this whole scene was quite trippy because they kind of did it from the mind of that woman. This part didn't really serve the story at all. It just kind of showed, I suppose, the mind of some of the people in the psychiatric ward. I suppose it gave us a little bit more information about Louise and it introduced the, the character of a seam who was basically trying to become Louise's friend. But it was quite an interesting way of getting there. And, and I thought, again, it still all looked very cheap, but it was quite a visually striking way of getting there despite that. The final thing I really liked in this film, well, I mean, that I liked for the right reasons, I suppose, is that the CGI throughout is used very subtly and they do tend to rely on practical effects a bit more. I just always find practical effects much more charming and if I'm honest, it's something I wish we would go back to a little bit more. So I'm going to give the, the film points for that. Right, before going on to the genuinely bad parts of this film, I just want to do a small section on the parts that are so bad that they're funny. You know, like basically the parts that I found weirdly charming and actually kind of quite liked in a weird way. For a start, the, the cheapness of this film was so funny. Like, um, the fact that they went into an ancient Egyptian tomb and all of the artefacts were so obviously plastic that you could see the shine on them. <laughs> I, I just... Oh, it was hard not to find that quite sweet in a weird way. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure there was some you could see the nails they had used to put them on the walls. It just makes me think, though, like, imagine if you, you go into a tomb... You find it's been it's been intact for thousands of years, and then the death mask of the mummy is just made of like plastic. <laughs> I think you'd be a little bit confused. I mean, I think it's fair to say that it would drastically change the history books. On top of that, the the acting in this film is mostly you know on that so bad that it's good level as well. I think uh, the main person I'm thinking of when when I get to this stage is there's one scene where Louisa goes to stay with her auntie. And the auntie just, she basically just yells all of her lines, but without any emotion whatsoever. Her character in general is just horrible as well. Like, don't get me wrong, she's meant to be. But Louisa has just lost her parents and she's moved in with her auntie. And her auntie basically says, uh, you know, get all your stuff out and you will start talking or I'll make you start talking. Because basically she's gone full on mute because... Well, I mean, it's understandable she would. She's just watched her parents be murdered. When she doesn't remove her stuff from the bag, the auntie then starves her and locks her in a cupboard until she starts screaming because that way she's talking. It is, like, absolutely horrible. <laughs> but throughout all of this, like I say, she's just yelling all of her lines without any emotion whatsoever. It just makes the whole scene so bizarre. And then this is the first time we see the mummy turn up and she kills the auntie, like in brutal fashion. But then, like, my main thought when I was watching this was, okay, so they were in Egypt, they're now in America. Did the mummy get on a plane? Did it fly to America? Don't get me wrong, I know this is me being incredibly picky, but I wish there was just one film where they just had the mummy sat on a plane, just patiently waiting to arrive. You know, I'd imagine it going through security and having to remove all of its amulets because they were setting off the alarm. <laughs> in general as well, some of the deaths in this film are, are just great. They're so 
overly gory and so stupid. <laughs> like, I think my favourite one was, there's a character called Carl who's, he's he, he's quite a nice character. He has a little bit of a thing for Louise, but, you know, he, he's he's nice about it. But the mummy basically kills him and starts ripping out his guts. And then you just get a scene where Louise comes out, goes, stop! And then she's just tried to pat them back into his stomach. And then she just basically goes, sorry, and runs off. It's like, it's so over the top. But again, I, I'm still giving the film credit here because this is practical effects. It's not done with CGI. But that's kind of the thing, though. Like, even all of the stuff that happens around the deaths is really weird. Like, for instance, towards the end of the film, a scene sees Louise rip his uncle's heart out of his chest using magic. And then he just goes, damn. And that's it. That, that's his reaction to seeing his uncle get killed in front of his eyes. His reaction is literally, let's make a comedy sound effect. Yay. Okay. Unfortunately, we do now have to get to the, the, the points that I didn't particularly like in this film. First things first, although I did kind of enjoy the first half an hour of this film, I did think it began to drag after that point. And don't get me wrong, there are still one or two good bits to come. So, for instance, you've got the dinner party scene. Um, you've also got the memories being awoken in Louisa's head, you know, from the shock therapy. They're all great, but outside of that, there isn't really that much I enjoyed after the first half an hour. Mainly, it just felt like a lot of talking, uh, but with a bad script and not particularly great acting either, which, well, I mean, at that point, there's just not much to enjoy. Also, although the first half an hour of the film does have a certain structure to it, the rest of the film doesn't really. Like, it, it just feels like one thing happening after another. And okay, fair enough, these scenes do end up connecting in the end. You do understand why everything happened. But it would have been nice if there were some hints along the way just to sort of help keep the viewer's interest. Because I will admit, the structure of this film did make me lose interest in it. So, overall, it's a bit of a, an annoying film to rate, to be honest. Because there is clearly a sincere attempt here to make a good film. But it just hasn't worked. And that's so frustrating. Don't get me wrong, I feel part of this is because... The budget just wasn't there for this film. You can see it really clearly. Uh, I would be surprised if this had more than a few thousand pounds. But in all honesty, I do sort of get the feeling there just was a lack of know-how into how to make a good film as well. In fact, when I was watching this, I kind of almost thought it was quite a young director who had some really good ideas and was just still learning his craft. After all, that first half an hour was entertaining. Like, I got to know the characters through an anthology of stories, essentially, and I thought that was a really fun idea. But when I looked it up, I did find out that the director slash writer, he's made quite a few films before this. So I'm going to sort of try and be quite nice, but, like, I, I feel he has got something. He has some interesting ideas in his head. And if I'm honest with you, okay, yeah, he's made quite a few films and this one at least didn't really land, in all honesty. But I'm also a strong believer that people learn at different levels. Like, for, for instance, take me. I didn't go to university until I was 24. If I had gone at 19, 
I would have failed immediately because it took me longer to learn, like, how to study, how to even enjoy learning, essentially. So my hope with this director is that he does figure out the other parts of, of how to make a film because I do think there are some really interesting ideas locked in his head and I'd love to be able to see him put them effectively on the screen. I really, really hope this, this film isn't just an example of him having given up on, like, the passion for filmmaking because I do think that would be a real shame and I hope he does go on to make um, some good films in the future. However, to conclude my review, I do think this film holds one or two good points. The first half an hour was inventive and entertaining, and I enjoyed the practical effects throughout. However, after this first half an hour, the structure of the film fell apart, and as a result, the whole thing began to drag. I am giving this film a 5 out of 10. Thank you very much for listening. I certainly hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, please do like, subscribe, share on social media, leave a comment, all of that. It, it really does help this podcast. And join me next time, where we shall be looking at The Ghoul from 1933, starring Boris Karloff. I hope you all have a fantastic week, and see you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.